Alrighty there, a little blue featuring Elton John. Sorry seems to be the hardest word to say. That's off the Platinum Collection. And you are listening to Lavender Hill here on KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD, 89.3 on the FM and online at KZUM.org. Perhaps you're using one of those handy standy, handy standy, handy dandy, smarter than a calculator devices and listening to me on your favorite mobile listening app like TuneIn or Next Radio. Or perhaps you're listening in the KZUM archives, which can be found at kzum.org slash archives. However it is that you're listening, I'm glad you are tuned in. I've got uh, an array of articles that hopefully I'll be able to get through at least some of them. Crossing fingers that everything's going to work better than it did last week. But just in case, I've got some extra music pulled up. To keep us entertained. All righty. Well, we're going to start with an article from Reuters that was published on November 29th, 2022. And this regards uh, the recent House-Senate vote on the uh, Protection for Marriage Act. The U.S. Senate passed a bill on Tuesday that would protect federal recognition of same-sex marriage, a measure taken up in response to worries the Supreme Court could overturn a 2015 decision that legalized it nationally. The narrowly tailored bill, which would require the federal government to recognize a marriage if it was legal in the state in which it was performed, is meant to be a backstop if the Supreme Court acted against same-sex marriage. It would not bar states from blocking same-sex or interracial marriages if the Supreme Court allowed them to do so. According to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in a statement that was released today, the long but inexorable, inexorable, uh, that's a word, uh, march towards greater equality advances forward. By passing this bill, the Senate is sending a message that every American needs to hear. No matter who you are or who you love, you too deserve dignity and equal treatment under the law. The bill was passed 61 to 36, with 60 votes needed for passage, so a narrow margin there. Uh, Twelve Republicans joined 49 Democrats in supporting the bill. One Democrat, Georgia's Raphael Warnock, was absent, as were two Republican senators. A similar but not identical bill passed the House of Representatives earlier this year with support from 47 Republicans and all the Democrats. The House would need to approve the Senate version before it is sent to President Biden to sign into law. Uh, So, yeah, there's a little bit more to that article, but I'll let you read that for yourself. I'll be posting that over on the Facebook page for Lavender Hill. Now, let's see here. Can I get this next one to come up nice, smooth? Yes, I did. There we go. This is from the Dallas Voice. First ever cohort of attorneys who are transgender to be admitted to U.S. Supreme Court bar. This is an article from November 30th, 2022 with the Dallas Voice. The National Trans Bar Association co-chair Kristen Browd will step to the podium at the U.S. Supreme Court, or she did step to the podium at the U.S. Supreme Court on November 30th, and move the admission of a group of 10 attorneys to the group of those admitted to practice before the Supreme Court. These 10, all members of the NTBA, will be the first ever openly transgender attorneys ever admitted to practice before the nation's highest court. 
The NTBA group spans the entire gamut of legal, legal practitioners, from a senior prosecutor from California to a partner in a big law firm, to civil rights attorneys, private practitioners, and those working in public advocacy work. Uh, to quote Lucas Cameron Vaughn, co-chair of the NTBA, we put together this group wanting to showcase to the court the spectrum of legal talent that happens to be transgender. The message this will deliver is that attorneys who are transgender are just like every other group of attorneys, talented, dedicated, and working for clients across the nation. Uh, the idea for the ceremony arose in October of 2019 during oral arguments in the seminal civil rights case R.G. Harris Funeral Homes v. U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission when Justice Neil Gorsuch suggested that banning employment discrimination against individuals who are transgender would lead to, quote, massive social upheaval. The Supreme Court admission ceremony was initially planned for two years ago, but due to the restrictions imposed by the COVID-19 pandemic, the NTBA opted to delay the ceremony so that the group could be presented to the full Supreme Court bench. Uh, and in that article from the Dallas Voice is a listing of all 10 of those attorneys and a little bit more commentary for you. I'll be posting that over on the Facebook page for Lavender Hill. All righty. Well, now this next one, I had to write up what I wanted to say so that I would not run the risk of uh, you know, saying something I shouldn't over the air because it can be a little bit of a hair, eyebrow raiser and a hair raiser here, uh, especially since it's coming from Fox News. Connecticut mom outraged over gender identity book for second graders. Never expected this in my town. She's quoted as saying while talking with Fox and Friends. This was published to the foxnews.com site on November 30th. Uh, let's see here. So a Connecticut mother issued a stark warning to parents around the country Wednesday after her daughter was exposed to a gender identity book in her second grade classroom. Darien Public Schools parent Megan Watros joined Fox and Friends first to discuss the need for parents to quote, push back against, quote, inappropriate literature and her interaction with the school over the book. Uh, Watro speaking with Todd Pirro, uh, one of the co-hosts of the show, said, I feel very naive. I never expected this to be in my town, but I think that it's in more places than what we realize. And if we don't stand up now, if we don't say, hey, this is not appropriate, these are small children, we need to push back. Uh, there's something going on here, she continued. I don't understand it, but I know my heart and my soul. This is wrong. This is not what we're supposed to be teaching our youngest learners. The book in question is Julian is a Mermaid, which depicts a young boy who aspires to be a mermaid and dresses as a girl. The picture book stirred up controversy among parents concerned about the appropriateness of the literature. After confronting the school about her concerns, Watros claims officials lied to her, denying that the book was used to spur gender identity discussions in the classroom. She's quoted as saying, We don't understand why this book is being shown. There's been no transparency. The same people who approved this book are the people who reviewed the book and then decided to keep it in the curriculum. So that is very troubling to me. Now, I'll let you read the rest of that article yourself if you so desire, because uh, it can be a little bit of, like I said, anger causing. Uh, but I do want to read my little bit of commentary here. 
I wrote this shortly after reading the article. The school has not lied, Ms. Watros. The book is not part of the curriculum. It is part of that classroom's library of books for students to read, but it is not being used as a lesson guide. The author did intend for the book to be used as a conversation starter for those students who read it, and if they have it, questions, uh, or want a better understanding, but it was not intended to be part of a lesson plan for second graders. This mother is blowing things out of proportion and using her willful ignorance to further the battle of gender identity, regardless of the age of the person at the center of her battle. Is it appropriate reading for a second grader? The school determined that it was age appropriate. I do think that parents should be allowed to review the lending library of a classroom. If they deem a book inappropriate for their child, they can request that the teacher not let the child read the book. I do not believe that parents should censor what books are available to the rest of the class or school, whether in the classroom or in the library. All righty. Now, with that said, we're going to go ahead and take a little bit of a music break here, and we're going to go to Gloria Gaynor. I bet you can guess what it is that I'm going to play for you now. All righty. Well, I've got a little bit of related news that I'm just going to post over to the Lavender Hill page because, well, I don't want to spend too much time uh, quoting things from Fox, but a judge has allowed a lawsuit by Pennsylvania moms over first grade or lessons on transgender issues. Uh, again, I don't think that it's actual lesson plan, but I'll let you read that for yourself. I'll be posting that later on today. But going to visit a little bit. I, I know it seems like uh, the news, the media, whatever, is harping on it, but it is important to keep our eyes open and our ears to it when it comes to violence against the LGBTQIA community. So I am going to talk a little bit more about the uh, Colorado Springs mass shooting at Club Q. This time coming from ABC News, an article from November 30th, 2022, Luke Barr writing. Um, the headline reads, Accused Colorado Springs Shooter Praised by Online Extremists Calling for Copycat Attacks, according to the Department of Homeland Security. The suspect accused of opening fire inside an LGBTQ bar in Colorado Springs, Colorado, has been praised by online extremists who have called for copycat attacks, according to a Department of Homeland Security bulletin made public on Wednesday. Following the late November shooting at an LGBTQI bar in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which remains under investigation, we have observed actors on forums known to post racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist content praising the alleged attacker. The latest National Terrorism Advisory System Bulletin dated November 30th, says, quote, Similarly, some domestic violence extremists in the United States praised an October 22, excuse me, October 2022 shooting at an LGBTQI plus bar in Slovakia and encouraged additional violence. The attacker in Slovakia posted a manifesto online espousing white supremacist beliefs and his admiration for prior attackers, including some within the United States. End quote there. Uh, the NTAS bulletin brought back by the current Homeland Security Secretary is the seventh after the current one expired on Wednesday. Threat actors have recently mobilized violence, it says, citing factors such as reactions to current events and adherence to violent extremist ideologies. 
In the coming months, threat actors could exploit several upcoming events to justify or commit acts of violence, including certifications related to the midterm elections, the holiday season, and associated large gatherings. The marking of two years since the breach of the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, and potential sociopolitical developments connected to ideological beliefs or personal hostility, the bulletin said. Targets of potential violence include public gatherings, faith-based institutions, the LGBTQI plus community, schools, racial and religious minorities, government facilities and personnel, U.S. critical infrastructure, the media, and perceived ideological opponents. Senior DHS officials reiterated on a conference call with reporters the threat environment in the United States remains heightened. The bulletin also mentions threats to the Jewish community and perceptions of government overreach. The official added the Jewish community, quote, seems particularly targeted in recent days. I'll let you read the rest of that article for yourself because it is a little lengthy there. Uh, but, you know, it's just a, a reminder, if you will, that uh, we may live in, quote, unquote, the land of the free, but we still have to watch out for what's going on. And speaking of hate speech being on the rise, it's definitely on the rise on Twitter, thanks to Elon Musk. Uh, well, at least since his takeover of that social platform. Elon Musk says he wants more freedom of speech on Twitter. He's instead getting its evil nemesis, hate speech. People posting racist content has significantly increased since he took over and fired the social media giant's top execs. The Network Contagion Research Institute analyzes social media content. Its researchers found a 500% increase in use of the N-word on Twitter within 12 hours of Musk taking over. There have also been big spikes in the use of anti-Semitic, homophobic, transphobic, and other racist terms besides the N-word on that platform. Musk has dubbed himself a free speech absolutist. Absolutist. Pardon me. Uh, does that really mean that he's committing to letting other people say whatever they want with no accountability? According to him, no. To quote him from a tweet that he sent to advertisers, the reason I acquired Twitter is because it is important to the future of civilization to have a common digital town square. That said, Twitter obviously cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. In addition to adhering to the laws of the land, our platform must be warm and welcoming to all, end quote. Surely Muslims and people who are deeply or who care deeply about them, for example, won't deem Twitter warm and welcoming if there's a flurry of Islamophobic content. As hate escalates under the guise of free speech, public expectations for accountability and corporate social responsibility must also increase. This is all according to an article from Forbes magazine, by the way. This accountability has to come from Twitter users, the broader public, press and media organizations and advertisers, General Motors and Ford announced last week that they're suspending advertising on Twitter until it becomes clearer what Musk is taking, where he is taking the company. In addition to corporate partners, parents who want to protect their children from racism and other hate messages can themselves step away from the platform and insist that their kids do the same. Hollywood screenwriter and producer Shonda Rhimes tweeted, Not hanging around for whatever Elon has planned. Bye.
Other celebrities have joined her in departing the platform in recent days. An important question for Musk. What constitutes a free-for-all hellscape? One single word tweet showing a single racial slur in all capital letters was retweeted more than 700 times and liked more than 5,000, according to the Washington Post. Is that a hellscape? Or is wider dissemination and harm required before meeting Musk's unspecified threshold? I'll let you read that entire article. It does include some uh, other quoted tweets. And it is quite lengthy there on Forbes.com. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Not always the best of times, right? All righty. Well, let's see here. Um, another little update for you on what's going on with uh, the uh, third, congr- third Congressional District in Colorado. We all know that uh, the Lauren... Uh, Bobert and uh, Frisk race has been a close one, even though uh, Mr. Frisk did technically uh, concede the race. There has been a mandatory recount because of state law. And this is coming from uh, the Washington Examiner. Colorado election officials announced that a recount would be held in Colorado's third congressional district in the race between Republican Representative Lauren Boebert and Democrat Adam Frisch. Uh, Boebert is currently ahead by 550 votes, a close enough margin that Colorado law mandates a recount, according to the Colorado Sun, despite the fact that Frisch has already conceded. The recount is not expected to change the result. So why are they doing it, right? Uh, The results of the District 3 race reinforce the fact that every vote matters, according to Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, a Democrat, in a statement obtained by the Washington Examiner. Colorado voters have made their voices heard, and I am ordering this recount in accordance with Colorado law to confirm the will of the voters. The recount has already begun. Uh, Frisch conceded despite the close count in order to avoid conveying a sense of false hope, according to Colorado politics. He said he didn't want his supporters to waste their money on a lost cause. Uh, He is quoted as saying, Colorado elections are safe, accurate, and secure. Please save your money for your groceries, your rent, your children, and for other important causes and organizations. The race in the Republican-leaning district was unexpectedly close, shocking observers, and Frisch claimed the close call was due to extremism. To quote him, I think our campaign was a big shot across the bow for less extremism and less angertainment. I like that word. You may hear me use that from time to time. I'll be posting that link and others. Uh, to articles that have been discussed or I had to skip over uh, later on today on our Facebook page for Lavender Hill. But let's go ahead and take our bottom of the hour break, followed up with some music before I get into some more articles. To Little David Bowie and Freddie Mercury there with Under Pressure. All righty. Well, I talk a lot about Drag Queen Story Hour. I talk a lot about violence against transgender individuals. Let's kind of combine that a little bit here with an article from LGBTQNation.com from yesterday, Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. Greg Owen writing. Headline reads, Drag events 
targeted with threats and violence 124 times so far in 2022. Yeah, I know we're 27 days away from the end of the year, but that's unfortunately still plenty of time. Uh, let's see here. A pattern of call and response comes into focus with the release of a new report from GLAAD about drag events targeted with threats and violence in 2022. A record 124 incidents targeting drag events were reported so far this year across 47 U.S. states. GLAAD's data did not include the Club Q mass secure in Colorado Springs pending an official declaration of motive. The highest number of threats and incidents took place in Texas, North Carolina. You know, Texas and North Carolina with 10 each. Illinois with 8, Tennessee with 6, California also with 6, and Georgia with 5. A number of events drew weapons or violence. Extremist groups like the Proud Boys, Patriot Front, and local white supremacist chapters were involved in several incidents. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, for example, back in October, security video captured a person smashing the windows of a donut shop before lighting a Molotov cocktail and firebombing the storefront. The same month in Eugene, Oregon, protesters carried semi-automatic rifles and threw rocks and smoke bombs at a drag event. In Downers Grove, Illinois, near Chicago, just as recently as September, a public library canceled a drag bingo event after receiving a threatening letter that included a bullet and the phrase, more to come. In Memphis, Tennessee, Proud Boys were among the armed protesters that showed up to a drag event at the Museum of Science and Industry, forcing a last-minute cancellation. In Sparks, Nevada, in June, children at the town library ran for safety from a Proud Boys protester carrying a gun. Following a familiar pattern, a large percentage of drag events targeted by threats and protests were first called out by social media accounts like Chea Rachik's Libs of TikTok and right-wing media outlets including Fox News and The Daily Wire. Accounts like Rachik's would first repost a venue's event announcement to her followers, adding a negative comment, misrepresentation, or distortion just short of a call to action. In turn, outlets with an even greater reach would amplify those posts and comments, spinning them as harmful to children. Protests or threats would follow. In June, libs of TikTok targeted the... Uh, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Pride in the Park event, saying that a family-friendly drag dance party was being promoted by the Idaho Satanic Temple. Both Fox News and The Daily Wire reported on the event 31 anti-LGBTQ protesters were arrested. A Media Matters analysis in November found that disturbing or yeah, disturbing inf misinformation about drag ramped up on Fox News and The Daily Wire in the weeks before the Tulsa firebombing, with Tucker Carlson falsely claiming that drag queens, quote, want to sexualize children, and The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh calling on police to, quote, break down the doors of LGBTQ clubs and arrest drag queens. A Media Matters report from June found that Fox News had devoted more hours to targeting drag queens and transgender people than to coverage of the January 6th insurrection hearings. No big surprise there, right? 
Fueling and rewarding the anti-drag threats and violence, legislative proposals in eight states would ban drag performances in some form. In Texas and Arizona, bills would ban minors from attending drag performances. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis announced a similar proposal. In Tennessee, a bill aims to ban all drag performances in public, while Michigan lawmakers announced a plan to ban drag shows from schools, despite no such events having taken place. The latest proposal to criminalize, not that word to criminalize, drag events was introduced by 22-year-old Montana State Representative Braxton Mitchell, a Republican, three days after the shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs. That is the entirety of that article from LGBTQNation.com. That's kind of uh, alarming to think about. The criminalizing of drag performances? Um, I thought this was the United States in the 21st century, not Nazi-controlled Germany in the late 30s and 40s. But perhaps I'm wrong. Maybe we step back in time and across the pond. I don't know. But wow. Okay, well, let's go on with some more stuff here and see what this is actually going to load up. There we go. Uh, this is related to protesting drag shows, uh, again, on LGBTQNation.com. Another article from yesterday, Saturday, December 3rd, 2022, Daniel Villarreal writing. Headline reads, Anti-LGBTQ Org Launches Alert System to Protest Drag Shows. Yeah, you heard that right. Texas Family Project, an anti-LGBTQ organization that wants to stop the left from indoctrinating kids, confusing children about changing their gender, and undermining parents' ability to protect their children's innocence, has launched Defend Our Kids Texas, a website where people can report live drag queen performances. To quote from the website, our mission is to expose attacks on our children's innocence by uncovering and highlighting the left's public displays of sexual degeneracy. The site's lead face is Sarah Gonzalez, a host for the conservative broadcast Blaze TV. Gonzalez has called drag performers pedophiles, directed her social media followers to shut down drag performances in the state, and lied about performances just to whip up public outrage against them. Uh, Gonzalez is teaming up with Texas Family Project to expose the depravity of the left and fight for sound public policy to defend Texas kids, according to the site. The site uses right-wing rhetoric characterizing drag shows as an effort to, quote, sexualize children or groom them for rape. Ugh. Even the site's name is provocative, as the only reason Texas parents would need to, quote, defend their children would be if someone were threatening their safety. Such claims of drag queens threatening kids have led armed protesters and violent threats to be deployed against venues hosting all-ages drag shows, as well as against bookstores, libraries, and other venues hosting drag queen story hours. The rhetoric is especially concerning since a mass shooter recently killed five and injured 18 while attacking a Colorado Springs, well, the article says drag bar, but it was an LGBTQIA, etc. bar. It just happened to be having a drag performance that night. While appearing last month on the show of bigoted Fox News host Tucker Carlson, Gonzalez called drag events a form of child abuse. 
She also shared a video of a drag performance in Texas where a queen lip-synced to a song with explicit sexual lyrics. Gonzalez claimed the event was all ages, but she lied about that. According to Raw Story, the venue advertised the event online with a disclaimer stating, if you would not allow your children to see a rated R movie or watch TVMA programming, this is not the event for them. Uh, during her appearance on his show, Carlson said that drag shows are, quote, sexualizing children and are, quote, a huge moral crime that nobody should accept, end quote. Oh, Gonzalez also recently led a protest against a transgender story time at Patchouli Joe's, a bookstore in the university town of Denton, Texas. The bookstore hosted a transgender individual who read three children's books about gender to commemorate the last day of National Transgender Awareness Week. The Texas Family Project encourages followers to, quote, protest against this disgusting attempt to normalize and celebrate something that leaves kids physically disfigured, sterilized, and traumatized for the rest of their lives, end quote. It also called the event abusive. The group's rhetoric echoes right-wing disinformation about gender-affirming medical care for trans youth. Indeed, Texas Republicans have tried to have gender-affirming care criminalized as a form of child abuse. The claim opposes the advice of the country's largest medical associations, has resulted in trans-affirming families fleeing the state of Texas, and disrupted the work of the state's child abuse prevention agency. During the event, Gonzalez stalked the bookstore's aisles, recording video of the story time. When a security officer kicked her out, she continued recording and screamed to the audience, this is child abuse, child abuse. You should all have your children taken from you. Supporters of the event invited armed guards from a local roller derby team and the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club to protect its audience members. Now, if a gun club got invited and showed up to protect the audience, that ought to tell you a little something there. Texas. Uh, Gonzalez identified these people as Antifa, a word meaning anti-fascist. Police also attended to keep protesters from disturbing the book reading. The event was also attended by Blaze TV contributor Alex Stein, a self-styled troll comedian who sexually harassed women like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a female vice news correspondent. Stein has protested drag events in the state before, and two days after the event, Stein attended a Denton City Council meeting and screamed about the bookstore, indoctrinating children to become transgender. Wow. That's wow. Okay, so I wonder, I, I just wonder, what do these two individuals that this article focuses on, Ms. Gonzalez and Mr. Stein, what did they learn growing up, uh, not just from their parents, but from media? Because I know Uncle Milton, he, well, Milton Burl was doing drag on TV. And nobody really got all up in arms about that. Not to mention the number of sitcoms and dramas that have depicted uh, male performers in drag. And I'm, I'm putting it that way because during that era, it was not really all that acceptable. And I'm not talking about movies like Tootsie. I'm just talking about, you know, everyday stuff. Anywho. Uh, let's go ahead and take a bit of a musical break here, see what kind of trouble I can stay out of. 
in the meantime, and make sure that I'm all ready to hand things over to Deb and Twyla on the women's show. Got another interview lined up for you, it sounds like. We would like to hope that it uh, keeps getting better every day. Thank you, Mama Cass. I took that off the soundtrack. A beautiful thing, which is a beautiful movie if you haven't seen it. It may be a little old and outdated now, but hey, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend you go watch it. It's kind of a feel-good movie uh, with uh, a lot of things addressing uh, youth in the LGBT community, especially in England. But it kind of carries over to what goes on here as well. All righty, now I was trying to stay out of trouble, so if I can do that, I'm going to do that. Let's see here. What's the next thing I got? Okay, this is this is staying out of trouble. This is also kind of a memorial because, well, it's a bit of history that had a little bit of a personal impact on me, being that there was only a year difference in age and I was still coming out to the world. Talking about Matthew Shepard. Uh, the Washington National Cathedral unveiled their new portrait of Matthew Shepard. And for those of you who do not know, Matthew Shepard was reinterred at the Washington National Cathedral in recent years. This is an article from Friday, December 2nd. Molly Spray Reagan writing for LGBTQNation.com. On what would have been Matthew Shepard's 46th birthday, the Washington National Cathedral, where his remains are also interred, unveiled a new portrait of him commissioned by the cathedral's LGBTQ staff. Shepard was killed in a horrific hate crime due to his sexuality in October 1998 at the age of 21. His mother brought attention to hate crime legislation at both the state and federal levels. President Barack Obama assigned into federal law the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act in October of 2009. Shepard's mother, Judy Shepard, has become an advocate for LGBTQ rights across the country and marginalized people everywhere. She and her husband, Dennis, were present at the unveiling of the new portrait by Kelly Lattimore. Uh, in fact, this is the only portrait that has been created of Shepard in collaboration with his parents, according to the Los Angeles Blade. The portrait features an almost glowing image of Shepard at the center of a blue flannel shirt, in a blue flannel shirt, pardon me, uh, with his hand on his heart. Surrounding him is a rainbow shape and uh, golden excerpts of... Uh, yeah, excerpts of letters that people all over the country had sent to Dennis and Judy after their son's murder. Words like, we will grow stronger. He was me. Matt was kind. This can't keep happening. I pray with you and he will be remembered form an arch around his image in the portrait. Uh, and uh, the article that I'm referring to does have a picture of it, and Twyla's over here trying not to cry, so I'm going to have to show her the picture when I play the last bit of music so she can get the tears gone before her interview. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to share that with you all because, you know, it, it, it's not happy news, but it's good news. It's something that we need to remember. And as I said, you know, I, I, I'm a year younger than he would have been. I was going through the process of coming to terms with who I am, getting my family, those who would, to accept me, uh, becoming part of the community when he was tragically murdered. So, yeah, uh, like I said, it has a bit of a personal impact there. Uh, there's all kinds of other things that I wanted to get to today. I'm going to see, let's see here, can I get anything to kind of, hey, 
have a little culture on the side, if you will, uh, and visit pinknews.co.uk. Uh, they actually have a new URL. And this threw me when it popped up. The new URL, which is kind of a universal, if you will, instead of it being uh, primarily UK, uh, is thepinknews.com. Uh, make things a little frustrating, I think, for me this morning, but I got to figure it out. The headline reads, Incredible Queer Pioneers Who Fought 1920s Homophobia Immortalized in a New Play by David Dawson. I'm going to be posting that uh, article link over to the Lavender Hill page so that you can read it for yourself, but I wanted to get that out there. Before I get ready to hand things over to Deb Anderson and the Women's Show, uh, she's uh, got uh, Twyla Twang in studio, who is going to be interviewing... Uh, Holly Montgomery about her new album, Sorry for Nothing. And then later in the show, Rick Peters is going to be joining Deb on the board, sharing some of his rockin' women's music that he always seems to bring in. So let's go ahead and get things ready to go out here with some music. Uh, and yeah, I think this kind of works. Not exactly me saving the best for last, but it's a really good song. Vanessa Williams with Save the Best for Last. <laughs> 